Hello my loves, I'm Carly Deering and this is Tea with Kings and Queens, the podcast where I'm chatting to the most exciting performers from the world of drag, burlesque and cabaret. Today I'm talking with the creative whirlwind that is international burlesque and drag performer Dominus von Vexo. We chat about dance, identity, founding their own house, the House of Allure, the blurred boundaries between drag and burlesque and impersonating Patsy Stone. Enjoy. So in today's episode, I am talking to the award-winning international burlesque and drag performer, founder of the House of Allure, and 2021's answer to Betty Page, Dominus von Vexo. Hello, my love. Hello. (laughs) So nice to chat to you. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. I'm... um... I suppose a little bit like everyone at the minute, bit up, bit down, just trying to constantly adjust to changing measures and stuff. Missing the stage, missing people, um, yeah. but hoping for the best for the future for everyone as well. So yeah, we are. We're sort of we're knee deep in lockdown three at the moment, aren't we? And I guess that's been my first question to everyone lately: just sort of how are you doing, and how have you? coped what have been your strategies recently for for getting through it because you're such a well-being advocate as well um I think okay so I think the first lockdown it was quite stressful in a way because it's like okay we've got set amount of months and I thought after lockdown it would be normal I don't know why I thought that whereas I think because it's such a way of life now I've actually tried to view this lockdown as a luxury of time in a way um because my life was really quite stressful before covid i was doing so much all the time constantly burning myself out um so in a way it's like this is quite a rarity so i'm trying to view it like that so rather than thinking oh i could do all of this stuff in the time that i've got i'm just really taking my time with stuff and i'm finding that that's given me a lot of time to process things to just work through stuff and enjoy the process of certain things as well um so that's how I'm trying to view it rather than oh we're locked inside with like nothing to do I'm missing everyone this that and the other so I'm trying to make it as positive as I possibly can I mean you've been ridiculously creative what have you created that you've enjoyed the most what's been the most exciting process for you during this time um I'd like doing lots of different things. I like to illustrate, I like to dance and choreograph stuff, um, obviously like to perform. Um, but I think probably doing some of the photo um, content that I've done for my Instagram. Um, so probably the kind of last big section I did was the Pride series. Yes, it's incredible and it's all on your Instagram. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> t- tell us about that. Tell us about that. It was a treat. Um, okay, so... I hadn't planned to do it. So I'm not a photographer. Um, so basically what these photo shoots are is basically me and my partner, we just use our phones and we just put up a sheet of fabric or whatever and just basically hope for the best. So it's like our theory is if we take about a thousand photos, there's got to be one that's decent. <laughs> um, so and then I kind of just put it through Photoshop and try and kind of touch it up a little bit and brighten the colours. Um, because some of the photos, I think, I think when you do it yourself and you've got no idea with photography, I look back at some of the photos and I'm like, I swear it didn't look that dull in person. <laughs> and stuff. So I try and kind of like touch it up a little bit and stuff. Um, but I originally did it as just something to do. So I was like, I, I need a new promo picture for, you know, shows and stuff, because the ones I've got are old now. Um, so I just started and I did, um, I think, the red one first. And I kind of spoke a little bit about HIV and how it was a really good opportunity for people to kind of get tested with lockdown and stuff to, like, that never happens in, like, the kind of battle for AIDS and HIV and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, and then someone messaged me and they're like, oh, I can't wait to see you do the rest of the Pride colours. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> um so it kind of played on my mind a little bit then. And I really think that in an indirect way, Pride is really important to me, particularly Birmingham Pride. Um, I absolutely love doing the parade, always dancing the parade and stuff. So I think this was like a way of me to kind of try and celebrate it still because mm. Pride is really important, but we still don't necessarily need that to have the kind of collective belief to, you know, keep fighting for stuff, keep celebrating and all of that kind of stuff, yeah. So 
and it filled a bit of time. <laughs> did you have all the costumes already or did you just put it together for the series? Yeah, I just put some of it together for the series. Some bits I already had. Um, so I was like, oh, I could use that for that colour. Um, but I think for a lot of the time, I suppose I went with the standards. I wore a lot of blacks and reds and stuff. So if it was like, oh, yellow or um, pink, I was like, I own absolutely nothing in that colour. So I was like, I've got to do something. Um, so yeah, I just, I wanted to learn more how to do makeup and wigs and things like that as well. Because um, makeup definitely isn't my strongest point. I look at a lot, a lot of fellow kings and queens and I'm like, how do they do that? I'm just like on YouTube trying to copy certain things. So yeah, it was a really fun project. I'm really glad that I did it. Um, and yeah, I hope it entertains people a little bit as well. It's wonderful. And if anyone hasn't seen it yet, just go and check it out on your Instagram because it's um, it's fabulous. Um, let's talk about Dominus then and tell me about their story. Where did they come from? And what's the story behind the name as well? Oh, okay. Um, so um, I'll do my name first. Um, and I feel like it sounds really pretentious when I say it out loud, but it wasn't meant in that way. <laughs> um, so kind of on stage and stuff, I, I, I would say I've got quite a dominating presence in what I do because I come from a ballroom and Latin background and I loved Latin and being a leader in Latin. I think those kind of traits trickled into my burlesque and performance style. Um, so it's like, oh, okay, so it's kind of dominating. I was chatting to some people about it. Um, and then we were like looking at different languages for things. And then basically what it means, it's different languages kind of put together. It means master of teas. Um, so that's where it comes from. And it doesn't mean in the way that I like, I'm the best at striptease or anything like that. I just think it just really felt right. And I did actually consider changing it at one point, but I just couldn't find anything that just fits right for me. Um, yeah, and I think as well, we've, I, I thought at one point um, with drag, I kind of had a bit of a wave where I was like, it's not necessarily a kind of typical female drag kind of steering name. And I was like, oh, is that gonna, cause me some kind of issue or anything like that but I was like no I, I like the fact that it's kind of just what it is um so that's what it means <laughs> so it does make sense it's not just a kind of random weird latin name for <laughs> kind of thing and I got into burlesque so I I started dancing I think when I was about 16 um so I was really late in terms of dancing um and I watched the film Step Up um, which I absolutely love for what it is. And I was like, I really want to dance. I was like, I just want to dance. I, I feel, I, I think I was attracted to the freedom that dancers felt. Um, so I was like, okay, I looked at the local dance school and there was some ballroom and Latin lessons. I don't quite know how it went from a street dance film to ballroom, but <laughs> it did. Um, so we just went to kind of um, some classes there and it just kind of kicked off from there. And then I saw, the film Burlesque with Christina and Cher, which Ooh. I really enjoy that film, but it's such a poor representation of what Burlesque <laughs> is, and it doesn't happen like that for anyone. Um, but I mean, at that time, that was the only access that I'd had to Burlesque, really. I kind of came to know Burlesque before I knew drag. Um, so I was interested in it and I started choreographing and stuff. And then I moved to uni and there was a society there that I was involved with. And then I went into the LGBT scene and it all kind of, you started to learn more about stuff and I kind of involved in it more. And I kind of felt that there was a lack in the very center of the kind of LGBT scene kind of in her street and stuff, that there wasn't really any burlesque there. There's some fantastic burlesque in Birmingham and some amazing shows, but at the time, there just wasn't anything like that. And I kind of pushed for that and fought for it and kind of a lot of people followed on from that. And it's kind of been more accepted within the community. So that's kind of how it's, kind of gone really. Um, I still consider myself quite early into my burlesque journey because I think there's still so much to learn and that really excites me. I'm really like excited about that. I can't wait to meet other performers, travel more um, and just see kind of how it adapts after COVID and stuff and that. I'm very excited and hope to be a part of that really. So pre-16, pre sort of how were you sort of expressing yourself and learning about your identity? 
Um, well, I didn't really. <laughs> um, I think, and I hope I'm allowed to say this, I just used to sleep around quite a lot. Um, <laughs> um, you can say that. So, so I think in a way I, I was very much, um, very white community, not a lot going on. It was kind of very tight. I had some really lovely friends. I had a really, really nice friendship group, but I just didn't necessarily feel right there. Um, I don't really know why. I was always creative. I did a lot of art and things like that. And I don't know, just somehow I kind of stumbled upon like certain opportunities and stuff and took it up. And I think that was really my first intro into um, kind of the LGBT community really. So yeah, I just used to sleep around a lot. And I suppose in a way it was like, it was so different to the lifestyle that I had, cause I was too young to go out anywhere. Um, so I wasn't going to like um, gay clubs or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I think that's what it was about. And I did, I think because of that, that's probably why I speak up on so many issues now because I don't necessarily think that's the safest way for people to mm. necessarily I wouldn't say it's a form of expressing yourself, but it was that kind of first way of understanding, I suppose, people like me and things like that, because there wasn't a lot of education then either. We had no sex education. It wasn't spoke about. The most the word gay was thrown about was like as an insult to people mm. and stuff. Um, so yeah, just very ignorant really. And I suppose then going on to uni, went out with people, went to the bars and clubs, met other people. And that's kind of where I got more of an understanding with it. So pre-16, I was just, I suppose, very plain, just bog standard kind of <laughs> um, normal person in that sense, really. Just did normal stuff, went to the park with friends now and again, did my schoolwork, worked hard, and that was it. I probably didn't have much of an identity, to be honest. Well, I don't think any of us do at that age, do we? We're just kind of stumbling around. <laughs> Definitely just trying to figure everything out. Yeah. All the dramas at school are the biggest thing happening in the world. Like, <laughs> But then once you found your passion, as you say, you were a bit of a trailblazer for it. So like taking burlesque into a slightly different place, because I think now the boundaries between burlesque and drag are really blurred, but they certainly weren't uh, some, a few years ago even. I mean, that really shocks me. I mean, kind of when I went into play, I didn't go through any kind of course or academy. I know certain, um, the certain great academies that people can kind of join and do stuff and learn burlesque and courses. I didn't really do that. I just kind of stumbled into it, which I know a lot of people do. So when you do that, you kind of learn on the job so you can make mistakes. Other performers will educate you on certain things. But it really shocked me because to me, it was just like Dragon Burlesque in a very much the same way, they were kind of very much in a way the same thing. They're mm. so closely joined. And when I first started doing it on the Birmingham scene, it wasn't necessarily fully accepted, um, I don't think, which really surprised me. Um, which is mad because if you think back in like Borderville, burlesque history, drag history, they are intertwined so much. So it's nothing new that they're being more accepted together. Um, but yeah, but I also thought maybe it's just because, you know, in the clubs here, it's maybe something they haven't seen before, um, which is mad really, because there is stuff that goes on in Birmingham, brilliant shows. Um, so yeah, um, but I think it has been more accepted now and it's great to see more of it happening. And to be honest, I think Burlesque went through a real surge during the 90s. Yeah. Um, and obviously drag is going through a massive surge now because of drag race and everything, um, which is amazing. And I think, you know, they should support each other and stuff, which the majority of people do, which is great to see. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of try, I suppose there's a bit of a fusion there, as many performers do as well. So where did you learn your striptease from then? How did you start to hone it if you didn't go to a class or...? Um, I just, I suppose I just kind of did it really. Um, I don't know. I think I just enjoyed doing it. I just, I, I followed my gut. I think that's probably the best way of doing it. I just followed my gut. I obviously rehearsed a bit before I went on stage. I just mm. didn't just go on stage and not practice or anything like that. 
But yeah, I just went for it. Um, and I suppose in a way, because I didn't know that much necessarily about drag and burlesque, I was probably quite blinkered <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> so in that way, it, it gave me, I suppose, a fearlessness of, okay, well, I'll just work it out and stuff. And that's one thing I really like about burlesque is that, you know, it can be expensive to do for certain people. And it is very much a kind of, you learn on the job as you do it. And you have to be so multifaceted in what you do. So, you know, I have to know how to choreograph, produce, promote, social media, wigs, makeup, costuming, all of this kind of stuff. And if you particularly don't have the money where you can get people to do that for you, or you don't want to spend the money to do that, you have to learn how to do it. And it does give you this attitude of kind of anything's possible. And I really like that about it. And I suppose that's kind of how I came to do it more, really. Um, I, talk, I talked to Missy Malone a few episodes ago and, and she was saying how now it's it's about having that little bit extra in your performance. Um, so a few years back, you know, you could do a lovely feather fan dance and everyone would think, oh, that's marvellous. But now it's like that you've got to add an additional thing in to, to keep audiences excited. How do you keep it fresh and how do you keep, I mean, you use comedy as well sometimes. And... Uh, um... Yeah, I, I suppose in a way, I suppose if I kind of describe the style that I do, I'm probably more Neo. I do mm. put classic elements into it and I love classic tears and I've done it. And it's probably one of my favourites really, but I think I just find myself going into Neo. So I think probably when I did the House of Law shows, um, you know, pre-COVID, <laughs> um, yeah. um, I... Um, we got asked to do something at Pride, um, at the Missing Pride tent, so we kind of threw stuff together there. And I hadn't really thought about putting on shows before, because I was like, oh, it's going to be ages before I do anything like that. But when I did that, I was like, well, we've kind of already got a show together. So I went to Eden Bar um, just on a night out, and I saw their stage area in their market. And I was like, that's literally perfect. So um, me and Penny Dreadful hounded them for about seven months to get an answer out of them. Can we do a show? Um, and then we did. And what was great there, there was a screen there. So we combined visuals and animation and everyone in the group of House of Law are, are really multifaceted in their own way. Um, you know, some uh, ballet dancers, ballroom and Latin dancers, drag, everyone brings such different things. So. I think because of that, it keeps it really fresh for us. And um, we'd always put a concept to a show. So probably one of my favorite ones that we did um, in October, the Halloween that we could do before COVID. We put together a show where everyone kind of did their own numbers, but the kind of premise of it was that the audience came along and they were coming on a tour of a haunted house. So everyone got like their little flyers and stuff. And as the show started off, Mum and Mamba kind of came on stage and we did like an airport thing of where the exits were. Because the premise of it was they were coming to view the house, but they needed to be out by the time the witching hour came. Obviously they didn't. And pretended <laughs> the doors were closed and stuff. And we kind of went around the house and then there were all these monsters and stuff. And basically it was the Soul Hellafore mansion. So that's an anagram for House of the Law which we really liked. We felt, oh, that's a really clever idea. Um, Very nice. At the end, we all kind of came together as ghosts and spirits and because no one could come out and we did our performance. So that kind of fusion of stuff really excites me. And I think as well, I'm interested in so many things and I'm inspired by so much. That just informs my craft. Um, and I like to push and challenge myself as well. As I was going on about that kind of attitude, it's like, well, I can do anything, so I want to try that and I want to try this. So I've kind of had to grow lots of different versatile kind of performances, really, from that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably where it comes from. I'm not sure, really, if that answers the question. It does. No, it does, it does. And I think I, what I love so much about you is that you don't know what to expect, you know? So you oh. can get this really fabulous... Uh, classically like really sexy burlesque performance but then another time I've seen your Patsy Stone routine which has just become infamous so tell me about that oh wow okay so um 
I was doing, so I first started performing on the Birmingham scene actually because um, why she was like, come and do Second South. And then he says, well, you should do church. Um, so I did it the first year and that was fun. And then he did another competition, which I did stuff. And that was kind of where I did probably drag from the first time. That's where I kind of, because I did more boylesque before. Um, so that's kind of where I see like the birth of what I do now. Um, so yeah, and end of my, I think it was, I think it must have been called like Midnight Mass or something. He did a competition that was like um, Drag Race and asked me to do it. And I was like, I'm not doing that, no thanks. Um, but I really enjoyed watching it. Um, and they did like Snatch Game and stuff like that. And, you know, everyone did their kind of character. And I turned to my friend and I was like, I, I was like, I don't know who I'd do if I did Snatch Game. And says, well, you should do Patsy Stone. And I was like, oh, I absolutely love Ab Fab. Um, so when I entered church, I did my first round where I did date dance and that was kind of just a test run to test them out before I did it at um, Lily Luster's show. Um, and then I got through to the, um, I think I did, yeah, I got through to the semi-final. So then I did um, my Ross Fucker act um, from Meet the Fuckers, which was fun because that was a challenge. I kind of set the brief, uh, you've got to do a Barbara Streisand act. And I thought, oh, they're going to expect me to do something just really classy. So I'm just going to throw it out there. And then that's kind of, I did Patsy Stone at the um, final, which I absolutely loved because I really like doing comedy. I really enjoy doing it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how it came about. I've only performed that number. I think I've only performed it twice, you know. Possibly well, that needs to come back out times, again. Three times, I think. Yeah, I'm working on a new mix for it because I mean, there's so much material in Abfab. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed doing that. Because um, I think um, in different styles of performance, there's so much you can learn from it. And when I teach and stuff, you get a lot of people that are interested in burlesque and they're like, oh, I want to be sexy and this, that and the other. And it's like, A, that needs to be deconstructed straight away, that belief, because that's not necessarily how it works. It comes from confidence. But I always put that kind of stereotypical kind of sexy femme fatale kind of thing next to comedy because you need exactly the same attributes there. You've got to be able to let go and not be scared to make a fool of yourself. And they feed into each other. So comedy doing that number was kind of a real milestone for me because it just opened up a part of me that I was like, oh, okay, I can take things there that I didn't think I could do before. Um, so again, that's why I've done church so many times and I think I've been like top three numerous <laughs> times um but I really enjoy it because it just makes me think differently about things and I really enjoy that challenge yeah well tell me about the house of allure then okay how did it start because you're a bunch again of really as you said really diverse exciting performers um and I've seen the video of you guys doing that final Halloween performance all together, which is incredible. I mean, it's heartbreaking not being able to see it in real life, but YouTube will have to do for now. But how did it start up and where did you all meet and get together? Okay, so when I was at BCU, um, me and some others founded a society called BCU Blesk. And um, it was just a group of people. We got together, we went to some shows um, and we all danced together and put on shows ourselves, really. Um, and we all met through that. So I was kind of teaching, which to be fair, I probably shouldn't really have been teaching because I didn't know anything about it. Uh, but I first put my hand up there and like, I've learned how to, you know, I've informed more and stuff. Um, so yeah, we all just used to do that and we met through that. And then after we left uni, so many of us just loved it. And I was like, it'd be really cool if we did some kind of performing together and stuff. And then um, some of us kind of did church and Second South and things like that. And then, as I said, uh, the one pride missing approached me and they said, oh, can you put on a burlesque show? And I was like, yeah, sure, you know, um, so. I got together a group of us that kind of were more interested in burlesque kind of, not necessarily more professionally, but we we did more of it and we loved performing and to, I suppose took it a little bit more seriously. Um, and we did that. And then, as I said earlier, we approached Eden and it kind of just went from there. So the group's made up currently of, there's me, 
Lux LaRue, Mama Mamba, Coco Kink, Lioness and Penny Dreadful. And we always try and have some guests at our shows and stuff. But again, I think the need of it came because, you know, we were all part of the LGBT community performance scene. Um, and I'm on about the kind of immediate circle of Hurst Street where all the bars are. And it kind of came, I was just like, okay, we're not necessarily being that accepted. Some people tried to do it in church and it wasn't necessarily understood by the judges and stuff. Um, so I was like, well, I need to make the opportunity myself, really. So I just said to everyone, oh, do you want to just start doing shows and stuff? And everyone was like, yeah, okay. And it kind of just grew from there. So that's how it came together, really. And it's really nice to see that all of us have flourished so much from that because we kind of just started from that point and you know everyone's doing really well doing so many things now and it's really great to see you're doing great digital stuff as well <laughs> oh cyber glam when we did the um, yes cyber glam oh my god i think that almost killed me off <laughs> so you will you did a good a group performance but all from your own homes which was fantastic, but how was it for you putting it together? Okay, so um, I was in two minds about whether to do a digital show because I knew it would be so much work and I'd done some kind of Zoom shows and stuff. Um, and at the time, it didn't really generate enough pay for everyone. I mean, they're great shows, but it, it was difficult. Everyone was kind of figuring out how to do it. Producers weren't having an income, so they couldn't be like, oh, we're paying performance to do this. It was all kind of everyone kind of scrambled together to do stuff. And I started seeing Mother's Meeting and other brilliant shows. And I was like, I kind of feel ready to do something. And we chose to do a stream one rather than a Zoom one because I felt that the shows we bring, they're quite multimedia in a way. And I was like, I don't want us to necessarily, I want us to get across what we do. And I didn't feel that Zoom is the best platform for that. Um, but with it also being a digital show, I wanted it to be a decent kind of length. So I thought about, you know, the average film, that will do the answer about an hour and a half, something like that. Um, so we got a load of other performers on board, which was really great because we managed to raise a lot of money and I think give everyone quite a decent wage, which was really important to me. Um, and as well, for us to produce a show that length would have been so much hard work for all of us and you're only limited on what you can do. Um, so that's how it kind of came about really, but it was a lot of work, a lot of editing, a lot of nagging as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I was really happy with the result. I think everyone looked fantastic. Everyone's numbers were great. It was really great to work with all the guests that did it. So we had like, Miss Baby Daisy, Manly Mannington, why should we had Joe Black, um, Jada and Romeo, um, Lily Luster. We had a real, I, I think we had a really diverse lineup. I really enjoyed doing it, but I think it was it's quite a long time to film everything and get it all sorted because I I'm very um I'm very competitive with myself. So I'm like, it needs to be the best it can be. I need to make sure I do it. I can't, if there's tiny little details that don't work and stuff, I'll like work relentlessly to get that um, right. So yeah. <laughs> but it ended on like this fantastic group number. So it was well worth it. And I hope you still have it somewhere so that it can get, you know, put online. I was gonna post it on Instagram. Um, but then I thought, oh, is it just gonna get taken down and stuff? yeah there are those issues around burlesque right now aren't there it's yeah. yeah it was just a bit of fun when we did that number it was like oh should we all do something you know because all our shows typically there's always a house of a law group number that finishes it and I think when people come and see us there's a lot of excitement of what that's gonna be so I was like well we can't just do a House of the Law show without having a House of the Law group number at the end. But it was like, we can't get to each other. We can't really dance in our flat. So we kind of just did, um, we did Rich Girl by um, Gwen Stefani and Eve. So we thought, let's kind of just go with that kind of um, diamonds are a girl's best friend kind of attitude where we're all in our little boudoir areas. Okay, it was, was locks in the bath. I'm just remembering back now, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah that was really fun that was an absolute nightmare to film <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah um he was in the bath yeah I think it was just really good I suppose in a way it's kind of um 
a bit like the Lady Marmalade music video where they've all kind of got their areas. So yeah, it's just trying to kind of utilise what we had really. Um, what, what does it mean for you to be part of a house and to have kind of that group identity, especially as you've said, what you were doing wasn't necessarily accepted fully straight away? Um, it's amazing. It, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, I haven't seen them for a long time because of COVID and stuff and I really miss them. But it's just really nice to work with like minded people and everyone brings their own qualities. And, you know, I, I think this can come across as quite a cliche thing to say um but we are there's such a strong friendship between everyone everyone's got time for each other and that's just lovely to be involved with them um, probably I think it might be from our first or second show that we did at Eden Bar one of my favorite photos we always have a group hug at the end of the act and we all just like kind of smother each other and the the photographer got a picture of it and it's just really really nice that so it's just it's just lovely working with fellow creative people that a share the same morals and beliefs as you. They've all got their own independent stuff going on as well, so no one's like dependent on each other and stuff. It's yeah, it's it's just working with really respectable people, and I just love it. I really, really love it, and I miss it a lot, a lot. Um, when I heard you recently on uh, Lox Larue's fantastic podcast, uh, Locker Room, which I'd recommend to everybody if you haven't listened to it yet, all about toxic masculinity. Um, you were talking about um, when you were doing your ballroom dancing training and how it was cool because you got to um, sort of try out both roles, both like the traditionally masculine and the traditionally feminine. Was that quite a progressive dance school that you went to then to get to do that? It was. I mean, um, I was thinking about this the other day because I think um, you'd mentioned uh, bits to me about it, and I was trying to think of, of like when I spoke on um, Locke's podcast. So when I joined that, I just went to your kind of um, standard ballroom classes, really, where you just go pay for an hour or 45 minutes and you dance with a couple of partners. And it's that. And I started going to the school ever such a lot. Then I did as many classes as I could. I just loved it. Um, and I was really lucky to be able to do that. Um, but I kind of got, not bored with it, but I was hungry to do more. I was, I'd been watching things like Strictly and I was like, I'm not dancing like that in this class. So how can I dance like that? But I couldn't necessarily afford private lessons. Um, so I spoke to the head of the school and I was just like, um, what can I do more? Like, um, and he was like, well, do medals or competing. And I was like, I just can't afford competing because it's literally thousands of thousands of pounds. And although I think the competing is great, I do have some personal issues with that. I think you have to look a certain way. And I think that isn't very progressive in that sense. Um, and then he says, but we do teach training as well. So I was like, oh, okay, I can afford to do that. I was like, and I'm going to learn how to dance like a Strictly Pro <laughs> doing that. Um, but I didn't necessarily learn that much from it. I learned a lot about the syllabus and stuff, but I came to realise that a lot of the other stuff, it was kind of added choreography to it. So anyway, I was within the school doing a bit of teaching and stuff, and the head of the school said, how do you feel about doing some same-sex couple dancing now at the time and I could be wrong I don't really think there was anything going like that there might have been one or two couples that I know of um but it wasn't a widely accepted thing and he was very much pushing for that so really progressive in that sense um so I got offered to have a couple of private lessons and dance and so on, but because of the height difference, I had to be the follower, which I'm not complaining now. But I must have done, I must have done about four classes and then I was like, I'm not doing this anymore because I was put in the position where like I've, I was upfront about what I could afford and it was a fantastic opportunity, but then things started to come through. It's like, well, you need to cut your hair and certain things which I just didn't agree with. And I was like, I'm not gonna pay out for all of this. So, I kind of, it's sad that I had to stop it in the way that I did because I probably would have been one of the first same-sex couples that entered competitions and stuff. Because um, I think we were training to go to Blackpool, I believe. So at the Tower Ballroom. 
Um, but then they found someone else to partner the other guy, and I think they've done really well, um, which is great. Um, so it was very progressive in that sense, and it's good to see things like Strictly have followed. But I mean, that's like five years later from that, so I suppose yeah. you know that dance school really did trailblaze a lot of that. So I'm kind of proud that that dance school has done that, and same-sex couples are more accepted. Um, Do you think it, it's given you a different perspective to your performance? Um, and because I know you, you were saying before that you don't necessarily think about what gender you're presenting in the performance. You just put it together as you would want to. Yeah. Yeah, I think, again, so with Ballroom and Latin, you traditionally have a follower and a leader. Um, so, again, that was the thing, I, like a lot of the technique books, it was like man and lady. Um, so... It was also, it was the fact that the word, it wasn't man and woman, it was man and lady. So it kind of shows that the kind of class issues within the ballroom Latin world as well. And that was another thing that the dance teacher at the school, they were with the ABD at the time, and they kind of redid a lot of the technique books and changed it to follower and leader. And you do need both of them in ballroom dancing because you use each other's balance and strength and push off each other to be able to generate certain hip movements and stuff that you can't just do on your own. Um, so when I was learning to do both, I love that each of the different dances, so whether it's foxtrot, tango, rumba, samba, drive, they've all got such different qualities to them and different moods and that's definitely influenced the way that I perform but I suppose in a way it's like okay I'm doing a I'm trying to think if I'm I might be doing an act where I'm like okay I'll throw in some cha-cha but I like the heat that that brings so I just channel that kind of energy so I pick and choose from it and create like this kind of fusion of stuff I suppose um so yeah I think that that's what happens really. I don't kind of just you look at it as it's one thing. I take bits and amalgamate it together. <laughs> and you always look stunning, but where do you get your body confidence from? Okay, I'm not really that confident um, at all. I'm not, I really do try and feel more comfortable in my skin and I'm a lot better than what I used to be. I used to be very uncomfortable with the way that I looked. But with being a teacher, I took the attitude, I will never ever ask anyone to do something if I can't do it myself. There's certain things I can't do, like I can't do splits, and if someone can do splits, I'll be like, okay, you can do the splits. But I would never kind of teach striptease or bless if I couldn't do it myself. Um, so when I went on stage, I just kind of did it. And it was that that fueled it. And then I realised that that helped inspired a lot of other people. So um, I get quite a lot of um, young, um, young people. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what the right word is, students. There we go. Um, come to clubs sometimes and they've seen what I do. And particularly if they're more male presenting, they've been like, you really inspire me to feel more confident to look a certain way and that's really nice and I don't always know what to do with that information because it's like I'm not the best at taking compliments but I think that's what fuels it really I suppose and that trickles then down into my own self-belief um because when you go on stage you are in fight or flight really you're under a lot of adrenaline a lot of pressure and when you're kind of on the stage unless you want to be that person that just storms off, you have to do it and you have to commit to it. But something does take over, really. Um, but often, uh, if I'm on stage, I will be very quick to either get off or I'll pull something up because it's that kind of like, I've just taken my clothes off in front of everyone and stuff and when the music starts and the applause has stopped and I'm exiting the stage, it's a bit like... It's a little bit weird, really. <laughs> um, particularly if you've done an act that's very comical and, you know, particularly, that you know, I kind of think of it in a way sometimes that I'm stood here in a wig with barely any clothes on and my nanny's in the front row. This wasn't necessarily where I pictured myself being. Um, you do get kind of thoughts like that sometimes. That's but, great, though. What a great nan. That's cool. I mean, 
I've got a very supportive family in that sense and I'm really really lucky mm. for that that's amazing really amazing but I have had people say to me before and they're like oh but your nan's on the front row do you feel awkward and it's like well no not really I'm glad to have that love and support and you know for me you know it's important to speak loud and proud and stuff and if this is my way of doing it then I don't really care who's sat in front of me do you know what I mean um so yeah I was interested what you were saying before about how people, because I've been to your classes and we'll get to that in a minute, um, how people say they want to do a burlesque class to feel sexy, but that's not the case of how it works necessarily. And, and that's often I, how they're sold, isn't it? That's how burlesque is packaged up, particularly to women, like do this to be sexy and confident. And yes. Yeah, I think... There's a lot of people that will teach burlesque, but it's not really burlesque. Um, it might be like a chair dance class, for example. Um, kind of very much, and I think this is in a way where the movie like burlesque has kind of maybe influenced stuff because it is this idea of empowerment and feeling confident and sexy because burlesque is all of those things. But burlesque in its sense means parody. So there's also a lot more to it than that. And burlesque has got such a rich history. And I think if you, we all kind of think of that classic American golden era of burlesque where it's glamour and things like that, but there's still so much more to it than that. And I think a lot of people come to a burlesque class, not really always understanding what burlesque is. And there is that they might see a little bit and they, what, they, what they're viewing is power essentially. People have that kind of power on stage, a power of attitude, and that carries on into the rest of your life when you get that. Um, so I think, yeah, when people are, they just want to come and feel sexy, what they really mean is I want to kind of feel that power within myself, but they don't really know how to articulate it and stuff. So. You know, I mean, it's the same way as um, another genre of dance, really, heels. So heels is a really popular form of dance. Um, and people like Yanis Marshall um, have kind of really pioneered that. There's, there's been a lot. And, you know, a lot of people think that heels is just grinding on the floor and things like that. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy a dirty grind on the floor in a set of heels. And I'll put that in a routine a lot you know it's about technique and it's about the feeling of what that can give you and I suppose at the end of the day it just comes down to a kind of misrepresentation and people don't always know what it is and the thing is burlesque is really taboo still it's still very much a taboo and you know it's like <laughs> what I've wanted the most frustrating thing is is when people are like oh yeah well it's classy stripping isn't it it's not just stripping and it's just like oh no like stripping there's nothing wrong with stripping at all and it is such a part of the culture and it's like it, it one is not better than the other or whatever they're just different forms and sometimes pulled together and it's just like yeah I think yeah and really I suppose a good blessed teacher eventually will kind of break down that kind of construction essentially but yeah I think a lot of people come to burlesque classes not always thinking oh I want to be a burlesque dancer it's about getting a taste of that kind of confidence I suppose. How has it been adapting your classes for Zoom? Difficult um, certainly as a teacher I'm very hands-on in a classroom um, and I think that probably comes from ballroom and Latin really so if I'm teaching, for example, a ballroom class, I will help push people into positions and stuff. And I like the reaction. I like the social element of it. And I think particularly in, you know, like a burlesque class or a striptease class or a comedy class or whatever you're doing, people lifting each other up because, you know, one of the most fantastic things, and I think most burlesque dancers and drag performers will always say this, the best thing about doing it is the people that you get to meet in the community that there is. So I think having a classroom environment where you have that is really important. And I think the role of a teacher as well, you, you need to be able to teach and bring out the best in your students and challenge them. 
but it takes a lot of energy to do that so when you see your students you get that energy back as well and I think that's a really healthy relationship to have you don't get that on zoom <laughs> um, I was gonna say right I love your classes especially because they're on a Monday night which is like oh it's like the worst day of the week but I've got that at the end of it and that's terrific but I'm one of these terrible students so I don't put my camera on firstly because no one needs to see that but secondly because they're being recorded <laughs> for the other students and I thought so it's not I love them but I'd love to just have the confidence to put my camera on because then you get to interact with everybody else and then there's a you can't you can build up a bit of rapport then um, so it must be frustrating for you <laughs> just seeing these little black screens sometimes I mean, it is difficult and that's why I always try and encourage the chat to be used and things like that, because certainly as a teacher, it's like for, for a long time, I was like, I, I feel like I'm not teaching the best that I am. I'm like, I, what, like, it was kind of like at one point I really had, I suppose, almost like a bit of an imposter syndrome sort of moment in, in a way of how can I charge people money when I can't give them the best of that really bothered me for a long time because I was like if I can't see them I can't see how they're doing it's it was really difficult for me to kind of get over that I'm used to it now but nothing beats a classroom environment mm. but I'm also really grateful for the fact that during the year that I've not been in a studio I have been able to teach and still connect with people and people have still been able to enjoy the classes um so I'm really lucky in that sense but I do really look forward to being back in the studio and I think people will get a real rush from being there um I suppose things like that we took for granted before definitely if people want to join you on in your classes how do we find them because they're on Mondays and it's really varied there's something really different every week which is why I find them exciting yeah so in terms of my classes I I don't teach a burlesque course necessarily. So I'm not kind of, if someone's like, I want to be a burlesque dancer, I would always recommend them to other teachers in Birmingham or wherever is near to them. I don't feel I've got enough experience under my belt to warrant being able to kind of train people up like that yet. I, I'd shout um, out Millie Dollar's class for that if you want to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what my classes are more, it's kind of almost drop-in sessions where I want to teach people the variety of what burlesque can be. So I'll teach things, pin-up, striptease, neo, um, comedy, we'll do character, sometimes we'll bring lip-sync into elements of it, but I'll break certain skills down. So they are more dance-based as well, um, at different levels and different things, but we'll focus on different tools. So we might do like boas or fans or things it's almost like a kind of top-up class that's how I try and describe it really um so I do do them on a Monday and I do need to <laughs> advertise it better but if people just kind of message me on Instagram and stuff sometimes I did the Instagram classes for a while but then all the rules changed and I am I am planning at some point I want to do a big zoom event hopefully to raise some money for AIDS so that would be really good I'm not, I've not fully set on what that will be yet um but I, I want to do something like that. So yeah, just kind of coming on my Instagram, I always put all the information up or just message me really. Um, well, they're just, they're just so feel good. I am not a dancer, but it just, it really cheers me up and maybe I'll be brave and stick my video on one of these days. <laughs> I'm always really grateful for people that do come to my classes because, you know, I'm very lucky that people want to. Um, oh like I think it's just so needed and I think whatever level you are you know it's just it's just really fun it's really fun um oh I've got so many other things I want to talk to you about um who are your burlesque heroines um because I know you know your burlesque history very well I'm just wondering who inspires you from the past I, I think really probably my two biggest inspirations for burlesque is Josephine Baker and Gypsy Rosalie I think they're just incredible incredible women i mean there's so many you know tempest or all the blessed legends really um, and i'm influenced a lot as well by a lot of drag performers so i love absolutely love divine mm. um but i'm really influenced as well by films musicals and um, music so george michael barbara streisand madonna massive inspirations for me so yeah again i'm just inspired by so much but the blessed legends and the thing is i 
I know a bit, but I need to know more. And again, that's something that I'm really excited about. I just, I get excited about learning about different performers. Um, it's like when Ginny Lemon on Drag Race last week um, did the kind of drag king look. I'm like, I need yes. to learn more about that and more inspiring figures because it inspires you to be a better person and it makes you fall in love with your craft more and respect it more and and things like that and I think yeah I think that's really important I think understanding your references and history is so important to be good at your craft and it just gives you a level of respect for different art forms and stuff you know because I've been at shows before burlesque shows for example and people like have seen a classic striptease for example and that well they're not a very good dancer are they and it's like well that's not what that is and stuff and it's like that's where the history and knowledge and inspirations it all needs to be kept alive I think that's really crucial I think that that's what's so exciting about seeing burlesque now that it's all the new elements but also often paying homage to to what's gone before but it's still as exciting and controversial as it was then as well and subversive I love um, Demi Noir's Josephine Baker incredible act if anyone <laughs> hasn't seen it you need to see that um, it's amazing. So yeah, des definitely Belaskin inspiration, Gypsy Rosalie and Josephine Baker and what I think lockdown's been a nice time as well, just sort of go down rabbit holes on YouTube and find people that you've never found before. And Yeah, yeah spending hours of your time. It's like, oh, I'll just click on this one video. <laughs> Five hours later, it's 3am in the morning. You're like, I really need to get to sleep now, yeah. but I'll just watch one more. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dominus, where can we find you? You can find me on my Instagram, so Dominus underscore Vaughn underscore Vexo. And then I am on Facebook as well for just Dominus Von Vexo. Fabulous. Thank you so much for chatting to me today. Um, I, I could talk forever, but um, well, as always, I can't wait to see you in person. Yeah, I look forward to us meeting. It'll be really, really nice. Me I'm too. Really in a healthier, safer and happier world when we do. Hi again, it's Carly. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you want to find out more or get in touch, head over to teawithkingsandqueens.com.